Welcome to Roadside, where we talk about the fascinating and sometimes disturbing history behind roadside attractions and unique destinations. Hello. Hello. To all of our Roadside podcast listeners, my name is Abigail. And I'm Janica. Yes, she is. She and is. I'm sorry, but we are late. Yeah. Because I had COVID. Bum bum. And I had to help take care of her. She did. And I'm so, so, so grateful. Seriously. Like, I was crying. I know. I was- you were so... Like, when you... She randomly was like, can I call you? And I was like, yeah. And I picked up and she's like, hey. <laughs> and I was like, mom, no. And then she starts telling me that she's got COVID. And then she starts crying. And I'm like, mom, yeah. no. I know. So I, I was just exhausted. A day early to help... You, yeah, you were, you really were. It hit you hard. It did. And I still, my head's still stuffy. I mean, I don't have a fever anymore. I'm not exhausted anymore, but it's just all like a head cold feeling yeah. now. Luckily, you're recording today because my voice, yes. I mean, <laughs> I'm drinking tea. Doesn't sound too bad. It doesn't. It's definitely improved. Oh, good. <laughs> good, good, good. So, what have you been up to since then? Nothing really. I mean, I hung out with my girlfriends and went to grandma's house. Nice. And that was about it. <laughs> nice. Sounds fun. So what have you been up to? I don't really haven't I have really haven't been up to much. I've been working a lot of doubles. Oh. I've been working a lot more because I need to save up some monies. Yeah. Been hanging out with some friends, hanging out with Ryan. Nice. That's it. Nothing crazy. Okay. Sounds like, you know. Sounds like typical for us. Sounds like <laughs> nothing's going on. Which is fine. I saw Ryan ride away on his motorcycle. That's the first time I've actually seen him ride the motorcycle. I've been looking oh. away every time I see him get on it. <laughs> like, I don't want to watch this. Anyways, I'm really excited about my episode today. Okay. This is going to be a two-parter, guys. All right. <laughs> we haven't had one of those in a while. I know. Exactly. And I was not expecting this to be a two-parter. I, this wasn't even, this isn't even on our list, I don't think. No? I don't think so. But I was just kind of like Googling some random stuff, trying to find something interesting to do. And I found Glensheen Mansion. Okay. Which I had never heard of, but is wild. I've never heard of it either. Glensheen Mansion is located in Duluth, Minnesota, right on the edge of Lake Superior. Gorgeous property. The mansion was built by Chester and Clara Congdon between 1905 and 1908. The Congdons were a wealthy family who gained their wealth by working in the iron industry and buying land. And they began they began to be so wealthy that they would set aside land to use for parks for the city, just to donate to the land. Oh, nice. To donate to the city, I mean. Yeah. The property that they chose for their new house was so gorgeous. It was 22 acres. It was all on the lake, and there was heavy woods around it. It was very secluded, and next to it was a small cemetery. Okay. One of the goals of the Congdons when they were building the house was to preserve the natural beauty of the land and to make their new estate self-sufficient, which was super interesting. Oh, nice. So they had plans for a very large vegetable garden, a greenhouse, an orchard, a cow barn, and a big water reservoir that they could use for the house. 
Wow. When the home was finished, it had 39 rooms. It was a big house. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was 27,000 square feet. Jesus. And it was built in the Jacobian Revival style. It's like this big brick house. Okay. It's really it's really pretty. Okay. And it does it does it does look like a mansion, like kind of like a castle. Okay. The home cost the family at the time eight hundred and fifty four thousand dollars. Holy shit. In nineteen oh two? Uh-huh. And today Oh nine, yeah. If you were to build the same thing, would be twenty eight point four million dollars. Jesus. Yeah. So this is a fancy schmancy house. These people were ridiculously wealthy. Wow. So the Congdens moved in with their children, uh, Walter, Edward, Marjorie, Helen, Clara, Elizabeth, and Robert. Okay, I now lost track. How many was that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay. So there's two Marjories in this story. This Marjorie is Elizabeth, who is the main person in this story, Elizabeth's sister. There will okay. be a Marjorie later on that will be Elizabeth's daughter. Oh, okay. The family continued to just thrive and live in the house. They gained more land, more wealth. Their businesses was just thriving. They traveled a lot all around the world. New Zealand, Japan, all over Europe. They were just a ridiculous amount of wealth. Nice. I can't even imagine. Yeah. No, I can't. They also donated a lot, like I said, to the city of Duluth. So they would buy land. They actually built a road for Duluth called Congdon Road, oh. also known as North Shore Drive. Okay. And it was a long road that just went right along the shore of Lake Michigan. And they donated this money in this land with the condition that the that part of the lakeshore would not be developed any further and would be preserved. Nice. So they were really like proponents of nature. Yeah. Yeah. And being self-sufficient with their gardens and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I loved that. Chester, yeah. the father, later ran for office and was elected to the Minnesota State Legislature and remained in politics until 1916, which okay. is when he sadly passed away. Aww. He died of a heart attack on November 21st, 1916. And Clara, his wife, later passed away from natural causes, I don't know exactly what, in 1950, way down the line. Oh, wow. He had to not have been that old. I'm thinking he wasn't I that old. No, actually. He must have not been. I'm not sure. No. So after the parents passed away sometime later on, the rest, some of the rest of the family still remained in the mansion, uh, including Elizabeth. Okay. Elizabeth was their second to last child. Okay. Elizabeth never married, which was very unusual for women back in the day. Right. But she always wanted to have children. Aww. So in the 1930s, she adopted two infant girls. Oh. Jennifer and Marjorie, who both stayed in the mansion with her and grew up there. Okay. People said that the sisters were not very close. They didn't really like each other. Oh. And Marjorie was said to be 
a little controlling, hmm. a little vindictive. So when they got older, Jennifer married and moved away to Wisconsin with her husband. Marjorie got married a little bit later to an accountant. I think she had a couple of children. I'm not, I don't really know about her children very much. And moved to Minneapolis with her family. Her husband eventually, 20 years into their marriage, filed for a divorce because she had a very bad habit of overspending that put them in a lot of financial turmoil. Mm-hmm. After the divorce, Marjorie moved to Colorado. She wanted to move to the mountains, start a new beginning, redo her life. And here she met a man named Roger Caldwell in 1975 at a Parents Without Partners meeting. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it seems like they're both trying to like improve themselves, be better parents. Roger was apparently not like the sharpest tool in the shed. Okay. And was a little a little gullible, easy to kind of yeah. manipulate. Yeah. So Marjorie won him over pretty quickly with her manipulative tendencies. Mm. And they were soon married. Marjorie's okay. overspending continued, using money from what one article called the Bank of Mom, which I thought was uh, kind of funny. Okay. Yeah. So basically... I don't know what Marjorie did for a job. I don't know if she had a job, but she was just spending her mom's money, basically. Yeah. She ended up buying so much stuff that she emptied her million-dollar trust fund. Jeez. Yeah. And she was, like, at this point, 40, I think, because they were adopted okay. in, like, the 30s, 40-ish. Yeah. She bought stuff like extravagant clothing, lots of shoes, skates, and hundreds of matching outfits for her children's horse shows or ice skating competitions. Okay. Which doing horse equestrian stuff and ice skating competitions is already like, that's got to be expensive. Yeah, Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, just to partake in that. And then the outfits, I remember just from dance, the outfits were crazy. Yeah. So she continued to rely on her mother, Elizabeth, to pay her bills and her bounced checks that she often got. Yeah. And Elizabeth did help her. She loved her daughter. She continued to pay for kind of whatever she wanted. You know, she was getting a little older in, in years. Elizabeth suffered from a stroke later on Mm. and became partially paralyzed. Mm. So she needed constant nursing care and was unable to take care of the house, unable to take care of finances, stuff like that. She was still like there mentally, um, but she just needed a little bit of help. And luckily, Elizabeth had close friends and family that were able to help her with the money when she could no longer help when she could no longer handle it with her also advising them, working together with it. Yeah. And that is how Marjorie got cut off. Ah. (laughs) Because the trustees were like, "Mm, I don't know. So the the Caldwells were officially broke by 1977. Their home was foreclosed. Their cars were repossessed. But... 
they were still touring multi-million dollar homes that they were looking to buy. Thinking that Elizabeth would still end up paying for everything. Mm. Because now her grandson lived with them. Okay. I don't know. Manipulation, basically. Manipulation, basically. They were like, oh, she'll end up paying for it. We'll just keep looking at these homes. Lovely. One night in June 1977, right after they were basically broke now. Yeah. Elizabeth had been put to bed by her night nurse, Velma. Velma used to be the day nurse for Elizabeth back in the day, but she retired recently because she wanted to spend more time with family and grandkids and stuff like that. But for this night, she filled in for another nurse who couldn't be there. She wasn't, she didn't work for them anymore. She was just filling in. Okay. And her husband actually begged her not to go. Oh. Was like, I have a bad feeling. Uh Uh-oh. Don't go. Stay home. Uh-oh. She unfortunately did not listen. I don't, I don't like this. Yeah. So the next morning, the new day nurse, Mildred, arrived at 7 a.m. at the Glensheen Mansion and found the door unlocked, which was weird. She came in, she went to the kitchen, started doing stuff, and started walking around the house just doing random, you know, her job. Right. And she found Velma lying on the window seat in the grand staircase. So there was, like, a little window seat in the grand staircase. And she was like, that's really weird. Like, Velma doesn't take naps during work. She's not that kind of person. Yeah. But as she got closer to Velma, she realized that she was dead. Mm. And she had clearly been beaten. Oh, my God. So Mildred was horrified and quickly ran upstairs to check on Elizabeth to see if Elizabeth's okay. And she found the heiress dead in bed. Oh, no. With a satin pillow covering her face. Oh, my God. Elizabeth's room had been ransacked. Jewelry was just tossed everywhere. Things were pulled out of dresser drawers, out of her nightstand, stuff like that. So Mildred rushed back downstairs and called 911 right away. Yeah. The dispatcher stayed on the line with her until the police arrived, just in case the killer was still lurking around the house because it was a big house. Yeah, no shit. Jesus. They could be hiding anywhere. Exactly. With all those rooms? 39? Yeah. When the police arrived, they searched around the mansion and found a broken window in the billiard room on the lower floor. Mm. So that is where whoever it was got in. They deduced that the killer had gone upstairs to the first floor and was making his way to the bedrooms. It was clear that Velma had heard him coming. I don't know if she was like already on the stairs or what, but came into contact with him on the grand staircase. Yeah. Imagine having to fight with an intruder on the stairs. No. no. So she fought for her life Hmm. on the stairs and she had scrapes and stuff everywhere. She really fought really hard. But the attacker overcame her and hit her with a brass candlestick. Oh. To keep her quiet so she wouldn't wake up Elizabeth. Mm-mm. The attacker then made it to the bedroom where he smothered Elizabeth, who was not able to fight back because she's partially paralyzed. Yeah. Oh, God. I know. 
So after he killed the 83-year-old Elizabeth, he rummaged through the room, took Elizabeth's diamond ring from her finger, took a gold watch from her wrist, and also it was noted that he stole an old gold coin from the dresser. Hmm. Just some, like, random old coin he thought maybe be valuable or something. Yeah. Then he walked to the small bathroom across the hall just to clean up. He's got blood all over him. Velma's blood all over him. He's got to clean up. So the police found all, like, the residue of the blood in the bathroom and everything, but they couldn't find any fingerprints in there. Damn it. I know. The attacker also went through Velma's purse and took her car keys and her car. Oh, geez. And then he left the house door unlocked. Later that day, police made a statement publicly saying it was a double homicide as a result of a burglary gone wrong. Mm. Yeah, they think that it's a burglary. Interesting. Okay. Three days after the killings, a funeral was held for Elizabeth. And relatives from all over came to pay their respects, including her adopted daughter Marjorie and her husband Roger who came in from Denver okay police happened to notice at the funeral Roger had some cuts and bruises on his face and hands Mm. weird that's so weird and they took note of that pretty quick good and when they asked about it he said oh I was kicked by a horse okay that probably looks different yeah, I was going to say, if you're kicked by a horse, I feel like that's going to be, like, one big bruise or something. Right. Not, like, little scratches all over you. Like, like horses you know? don't have fingernails, you know. Exactly. <laughs> so, the Duluth police were now facing the biggest homicide case they have ever had. Mm. Even though the police had publicly said... It's a burglary gone wrong. They were very ready to look into other motives as well. Okay. They just publicly wanted to kind of keep it low key and be like, ah, burglar, you know? Right. They didn't want to tip anybody off, basically, is why they said it was a burglary. Okay. So, of course, they spoke to several of the Congdon family members, and they had a lot to say about Marjorie. Yeah. They immediately started talking about Marjorie. They told police about her overspending and her manipulation and how her and her sister didn't really get along, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They also told the police about another incident that happened in the past. Do tell. They called it the marmalade incident. Okay. <laughs> so a few years earlier, they had a family gathering. And everyone was having fun, hanging out, and Elizabeth suddenly became really sick and had to, like, dip out. And, Hmm. like, I don't know what happened, I don't know, but she was really sick. Okay. Someone later on remembered that Marjorie had given Elizabeth some of her homemade orange marmalade. Huh. And tests done by some doctors later on showed Elizabeth's blood had a dangerous chemical floating around in it. I wonder how that happened. That's really weird. Mm-hmm. I don't know who could have done that. Yeah. 
So as well as talking to relatives, police also conducted some forensic work on the Glensheen mansion. There wasn't a lot of DNA technology back in the day, but they still collected, you know, blood and hair and stuff. They did not find any fingerprints in the house of anybody other than whose fingerprints should be there. Yeah, that's frustrating. But they did find blood and hair that closely matched Rogers and was the same blood type as Rogers. Oh, how weird. He had cuts. He had cuts all over him Mm. and matching blood and hair. A little bit strange. Mm. A little bit strange. That's weird. But forensic evidence wasn't the only evidence they had. Uh Uh-oh. They also found in the house a handwritten will. Oh, God. From three days before the murders. In his handwriting? I don't know. I didn't know. I don't know that. In this will, Marjorie signed over $2.5 million of her $8 million inheritance to Roger. Okay. Yeah. So, basically, she's saying, when my mom dies, I'm going to get $8 million, and I'm going to give Roger $2.5 million of my $8 yeah. million. So, just a weird coincidence. I mean, I'm sure that doesn't mean anything. Roger's just, you know, yeah. casual. Casual. Means, means nothing. No. I mean, it's crazy not that happened. They also discovered that Roger had been in Duluth a month before the murders. Wow. Yeah, just to talk to Elizabeth and the family trustees. Mm. And ask and them spin. for $750,000. Which I'm guessing they said no. He said that this money was to buy a ranch <laughs> for him and his wife. Okay. And they were like, Mm, nah. <laughs> and then he said, well, I need at least $500,000 to pay off all of our debts and to stay out of jail. That's not really their problem. Yeah, they said no. They were like, yeah. that's why should we do that when right. you've taken all of our money and just spent it on nothing? Right. So the police were heavily looking into Roger and Marjorie because this is a big motive. Yeah wonder why (laughs) yeah i don't know i mean it doesn't really make sense to me actually (laughs) then police found an envelope addressed to roger Mm. in him and marjorie's mailbox in colorado okay that had been delivered a couple days that had been delivered after the couple left for the funeral okay And the envelope had been sent on the day of the murders from Duluth. Hmm. So they were like, hmm, interesting. (sighs) Inside the envelope was a Byzantine-era gold coin. Ah. Just like the one that had been stolen from Elizabeth. Yeah. So the police were kind of like, that's weird. Like, why would somebody send Roger... Like, it, it, it just made him look like he wasn't the one. Yeah. He tried to make it look like he wasn't the right. one. Right. Further investigation <laughs> oh, showed 
that the handwriting was Roger's handwriting. <laughs> this guy's an idiot. He's so stupid. And guess what? On the coin, perfect fingerprint. Good. Matching Roger. What a fucking tool. He was so dumb. He's like, oh, I know what'll throw him off. I'll send myself this coin that I stole and I'll write it in my own handwriting and they'll never know. They'll never, never. know. And I'm not even going to wipe my fingerprints off. <laughs> they'll never see it coming. Yeah. Oh, Later, the police also decided maybe we should search Roger and Marjorie's hotel room. Mm. So they did, and they found some interesting jewelry. Oh. That looked super similar to the stuff that was stolen from Elizabeth. Yeah. When asked about this, Marjorie said that the jewelry was hers and it had always been hers, and that her and her mom had some very identical items. Oh, sure. Yeah. They just happened to have a lot of the same stuff. They got the same taste, you know? Right, of course. They also found a receipt from a Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport gift shop for a suit bag that was bought on the morning of the murders. Oh, Jesus. Roger had a similar bag in the hotel room. Hmm. And when the gift shop workers were shown a picture... Of Roger. What? I'm, wait, I'm just waiting for what you're going to say. They said, yeah, he might be the one. Just because, like... I think he might have been the one that bought that. Clearly, this man did not know what he was doing. Yeah. Or he thinks he did and just did a mm-hmm. really shitty job. Yeah. And then, oh my god, what is Velma's car doing at the Minneapolis-St. Oh. Paul Airport? <laughs> on the day after the murders. Oh, what a jackass. Oh, my God. That is just so strange. Maintenance workers then found the keys to the car in the trash. Oh, yeah. And they also found a parking ticket. <laughs> and the ticket had the timestamp of 6.35 a.m., which would have been enough time for the killer to make the 150-mile drive. Yeah. So it was just very obvious yeah. that this was the guy. And then two weeks after the murder, he was arrested. Good. They said, mm, we know, we know. Yeah. We know. There is a lot more behind why he did this. Not just money? There is more. Okay. Marjorie was very manipulative in getting him to do this. It became clear that she was the mastermind. Got it. And he was just the puppet. Yeah. And that's where I'm ending it. Oh, okay. Because there is a lot more to this, including arson later on. Okay. And I want to make sure that I can get it all in. Okay. And I want to leave you on a cliffhanger. Okay. <laughs> Because you don't get to know whether they go to jail yet or not. All right. All righty. Well, that was only 30 minutes. Yeah, I knew it wouldn't take too long. Um, (laughs) But I wanted this to be... I know that there's enough information that if I did one whole episode, it'd be like an hour and a half. Yeah. Okay. I don't want to spoil the rest. Okay. Well, thank you. 
You're welcome. You're welcome. I am very looking forward to part two. Awesome. Me too. Because it gets spicier. It's spicier. (laughs) Spicier. Nice. It gets crazy. It gets wild. So this is just a little bit of it. It's a teaser. Just a teaser. Gotcha. Nice. Awesome. Alrighty. Cool. You can find us on our socials if you would like to. I mean, if you want to, like, I guess you could. My gosh, you can follow us on TikTok at Roadside Podcast. Instagram at Roadside Pod. Facebook at Roadside Podcast. YouTube at Roadside Pod. And you can go to our website at roadsidepodcast.com. You can also email us at roadsidepod at gmail.com. Please do that. Go to patreon.com slash roadside if you would like to be a patron. Shout out to all our patrons out there. We love you. We do. We love you so much. Thank you for supporting us. It is very helpful. Yes. And then you can also share our share our podcast with your friends. Leave a review. All of that stuff. Yeah. Please do. We would love it forever. That 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 helps to support us too. Yes, it always does. Yep. And that's it. All righty. Cool. We love you all. We love you. Mwah. Keep finding the thrill in the mysterious, babes. (laughs) Bye.